Switch to Metro by T-Mobile and save more. Get the new iPhone SE now with 5G at the lowest price in prepaid. Just $99.99. I post a lot. And thanks to the iPhone SE with 5G and advanced 4K camera, I'm snapping and sharing while my followers are smashing the like button. Switch and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99. Only at Metro. Save more versus national prepaid brands. Limited time offer in store only. Price for 64 gigabyte model with eligible port, $60 plan, and ID. See 5G device coverage and access details at MetroByTMobile.com. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world. It's time for the Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Bill Alexander Show with yours truly, William Eric Alexander. So glad you can join me today because I have a treat for you as we take you back into your childhood. As soon as I mention this person's name, you're going to go, wait a minute. I know who that is. Stanley Livingston. Stanley, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I am doing absolutely great. And you are best known for your role as Chip on My Three Sons. I think so. That's uh, <laughs> probably what's going to be on my tombstone. Uh, so, okay. So we'll start off with that. So how is that, that when people see you, do they still recognize you as Chip? Would you? <laughs> well, <laughs> eliminate some of the facial hair. And I think I'd still see it. It depends what you're looking for, you know. Um, it depends which year you're watching My Three Sons, because I could be anywhere from nine years old to 23 years old. So uh, I look markedly different in the beginning than I did at the end. Yeah, you know, without the gray hair and without a goatee, I probably, uh, and, and if I would have shaved this morning, <laughs> I forgot to. So I apologize to your Not audience. a problem. Hey, so that's interesting. So you said from nine until what, 23? About 23, yeah, I think, till the series finally went through its final airing on TV on uh, on CBS, yeah. So you grew up in front of the American public. How was that? Well, I started uh, in the industry long before My Three Sons. So, you know, you can add another five years in front of My Three Sons of, of work that I did that led up to My Three Sons. Uh, I did a lot of feature films. I did, you know, guest spots on TV shows. And I actually was the star of another series, a TV pilot that didn't sell, that was uh, produced by uh, producer and director Jackie uh, Cooper. Um, I a lot of people heck, don't know I, that I, one. I see it. I, you posted a picture a few weeks ago of a picture of you and Jackie Cooper on that Facebook. Was Exactly. That was the making of Skippy, which was a That's film it. he was in in 19, I think it was 34 or 37, for which he either was nominated or actually won an Academy. I think he won, if I remember right, an Academy Award and was the youngest person ever to receive Academy Award until Kramer versus Kramer came along. And mm -hmm. the kid in that, Justin Henry, I think was his okay. name. Uh, he, yeah, he won. But uh, yeah, he met me. Uh, I was doing Ozzy and Harriet at the time. When I wasn't filming, uh, you know, as a precocious little kid, I'd walk over to other people's sound stages, even though I was only seven years old, and see what they were doing. Um, the sound stage next to stage five, where we filmed Ozzy and Harry, and I'd go over there. There was a horse there. And the trainer would let me play with him and mm -hmm. feed him carrots and brush him. Well, that was Mr. Ed, 
which I didn't watch that show, so I didn't know it was Mr. Ed. He was just a horse to me. Did, okay, um, did Mr. Then, Ed actually talk, or did he, did he charge extra for that? That's the question I always ask. Uh, it depends how much peanut butter they put in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> he never said anything to me. Uh, if he did, he probably would have told me to get out of showbiz while I had a chance. Um, anyway, on the other stage across from us, yeah, they were shooting a TV series uh, with Jackie Cooper. And uh, it was called The People's Choice. And it had a dog uh, that was one of the main characters of the show. And there was a husband and wife. And the dog would comment on their behavior. You know, so he kind of had a little shtick going. Anyway, I went over and uh, I, I used to play with the dog. The trainer was there, a guy named Frank in. You know, he let me pet the dog and brush him, showed me some training tricks. And one day when I was doing that, uh, this guy came up to me and started talking about who are you and mm -hmm. where did you come from? And, and then the last question was, where's your mother? Could I meet uh, your mother? And I go, right. and my, my thoughts immediately went to, am I in trouble? <laughs> and uh, he said, no, no, you're not in trouble. He goes, but I would like to meet your mom. So I led him back to stage five and introduced the guy to my mom. Well, you know, I didn't know who he was. Uh, it was Jackie Cooper. And I could see my mom was, you know. Starstruck. Of, yeah, starstruck. And I kind of walked away. But uh, this was probably mid-summer of 1958. And then uh, next thing I knew, in December of 1958, uh, he wrote a TV pilot called Skippy, which was based mm -hmm. on the movie that he made and the character right. that he played. And uh, had the idea of trying to sell that as a uh, TV show. And uh, he had cast me in the title role and I had above the title billing and wow. I probably had about, yeah, 90% of the dialogue. I mean, it was totally amazing. And I had just turned eight years old. So it was, you know, quite a thing. Um, unfortunately, Skippy never sold, but uh, the film piece uh, was, was good for me. You know, in those days, actors right. didn't, didn't have reels, you know, unlike, what came later, you know, you would get your material, your clips and put them on a VHS tape and send the tape to the casting person. And later you'd put it on DVD and then later still, which is kind of what happens now, the, you know, there's file base. You just send them a file with your stuff on it or link them up to a file on a website so they can watch your, your clips from all the different uh, shows you've done. So my parents, what they used to do is borrow the 16 millimeter print from Jackie, uh, Jackie Cooper, and uh, they would rent a theater. There was a theater in Hollywood that after midnight, you could rent it out. They called Four Wallet, and you could invite producers or casting people or whatever to come down and, and watch the, uh, the film. So that happened a couple of times. And it, it got me work and got the attention of some people. My agent, you know, she'd borrowed the film occasionally. And it was shown to some producers who had an idea for a TV series called My Three Sons. And so, uh, they were blown away by what they saw. And the next day I got hired to do My Three Sons. So with My Three Sons, you worked with Fred McMurray, yeah. William Frawley, Don Grady, and Tim uh, Considine, who just recently passed away. And that was that, that was the original lineup. And that had to be that had to be amazing, not only to work with them, but also to work with Fred McMurray, who was doing stuff for Disney and everything else at the time. 
it it probably meant more to my parents who are oh, okay. you know, much more aware of his film career you know dating back to my god you know the egg and i and, uh, double indemnity you know mm-hmm. i became a little familiar with him before the show started because he had done the shaggy dog right he had done the absent-minded professor and uh son of flubber and all that so you know that that was a sort of my introduction to the guy, and it was just another guy to me. I, you know, I'm just like a, a nine year old kid, so it didn't mean all that much, which was good because I could just be a real person, not be starstruck. And you know, I, I was already used to working around major movie stars, but when you're a kid, you don't see people that way. You know, I by that point in my life done films with uh, Doris Day, David Niven, Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward. Uh, Charlie Bronson, uh, you know, I so mean, he's just did, another guy to me. Please don't eat the daisies. You were in um, what? How the West was won. How the and West was won. Raleigh around the flag boys, the Bonnie yeah. Parker story. Uh, yeah, a lot of different films out of that era. Well, one of my favorite you were in that I'm trying to get a copy of. <laughs> is the attack of the 60-foot centerfold <laughs> from 1995. But I'm not having much luck with that, but that's... Really, I, I would on. think that's out there, especially <laughs> since it was made, uh, well, by a buddy of mine, Fred Olin Ray was the director on that, and Roger Corman was the producer. I, that should be... It's it's on Amazon, I just haven't got it yet. <laughs> right, or maybe at, at Amoeba in LA, there's a, a record, uh, not a record store. Well, actually, yeah. I guess they have music and and uh, movies well, there, and I find all kinds of old and esoteric, you know, videos or movies that I was interested, in. and they almost well, always have it. Well, speaking of record, you actually did one of those too, didn't you? Which was sure called Hairspray, which I heard it today for the first time, and actually I just bought a copy of that too, which I should be getting here by the end of the week. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So. Hair, hairspray was on one side pen pal was on the other who approached you about doing this song because i know that that having the tv performers doing music was somewhat of a novelty back then yeah and, and i think that happened in that little slice of time when shelly fabre did johnny angel right. paul peterson was doing my dad and ricky nelson uh, yeah ricky nelson was a bit well he started to be a big deal when i was on the show while i was working on it you know he cut his first record and they introduced the record at the end of a segment where they kind of had a sock hop and he's up right. on stage there's like a million little you know teenage girls there and that was you know unheard of before you know the only way you got a record you know that was seen on television had to be on dick clark's show american bands right uh, but Ozzy was trained to control it all and decided, here's the way we're going to do it. We're, we're going to get people to watch Ozzy and Harriet, and I'm going to tag these on to the end. And then, yeah, you got 60 million people watching. So next week, he'd go out and sell 60 million records, I guess. But so um, yeah, when did it was you, crazy. When did you actually start acting? How old were you? I was about somewhere between five and six. Yeah, my first jobs were like everybody else's in the industry. You know, I was hired as an extra, okay, an extra kid, could you know, different TV shows. Uh, slowly but surely, in fact, one of my early jobs was uh, I. Uh, well, they were doing a show called Lassie, and there was yes. a changeover. There was an original cast that contained uh, Tommy Reddick as the as the boy in it, but by mm-hmm. now he was in his late teens and. 
I guess they wanted to rejuvenize and revitalize the show by adding a younger child to it. So they hired John Provost, got the other cast out of there, brought in June Lockhart, and I forgot who the guy was. And uh, there was an actual episode uh, where they, everybody was in it. They had the old cast, the new cast. Uh, Tommy Reddick was leaving. Jeff, I think, was his name on the, the show. And it gives Lassie to, to Timmy. Right. And um, anyway, I guess Timmy didn't want to live on a farm. I don't know what the storyline was, but uh, he ran away and I, I, he falls in the water somehow in a, in a lake or, and uh, he almost drowns. Well, that was me out there drowning, not him. I, I was his stunt double and uh, they dressed me in his clothes threw me into the water and I'm out there splashing around got stuck in the mud and almost really did drown and the actor came and pulled me out and I remember they just said whatever you do you can't look at the camera keep your face turned a certain way but you know for all intents and purposes from that far away John and I looked a lot alike so right. we always kind of had for for a pretty long time we were that uh, that little sector of the pure Aryan race that was on TV. There, <laughs> me, John Provost, Jay North, who played Dennis the Menace, with all these blonde towhead kids, and uh, yeah, you know, that was our lot in life. Anyway, I did that, and then after that, I was up about a year later for a, another TV series, which was Dennis the Menace. So it got down to the wire with Jay North, myself, and there was a third kid they were interested in okay and yeah we auditioned a bunch of times and jay got the part and i got a the booby prize was i got to be a i think an extra maybe i had one line or two on maybe a couple episodes and that was that i i kind of moved on after that so on my three sons again there were three older there were three brothers you were the youngest right. and then when mike left and got married they brought yeah. in this other little kid by the name of Ernie, who just happens to be your brother, not only on the program, but in real life. Did yeah. he want to be in show business when he was watching you? Oh, do he, it was, too? he was already in show business. Okay. Uh, very shortly after me, he started working too. In fact, uh, we did a film called Rally Round the Flag Boys with Joanne mm -hmm. uh, Woodward and Paul Newman. Newman. And, uh, that was my brother's first film and uh, he got fired <laughs> <laughs> by noon the first day. Uh, anyway, how it happened was I went on the interview and, you know, they liked me and they were looking for another kid to play a littler brother. And they saw my brother with me and they go, who's he? And that's my brother, right. Barry. And they go, well, we'll just take him too. And, but when we were shooting the scene, we were supposed to be watching a TV set and ignoring Paul Newman, who was talking to us. And that was kind of the joke. And uh, when we shot it over and over, the director was getting more and more frustrated with my brother saying, look, I need you to look right at the TV screen. I want you to look to the left, to the right. You know, you just stare right there. And he was doing it. But I guess from the director's perspective, it didn't look like he was looking at it. Well, it turned out my brother had cross eyes which had never been you know really detect detected before but it was obvious on camera so when you're saying look here you look like he was kind of looking oh, that I got way you. okay and by noon he was in a ophthalmologist's office and by one o'clock there was another kid there and he'd been replaced but if you carefully watch uh watch the movie there's a scene where he eats some change some pennies or something and john woodward and the guy who's fixing the washing machine Got him upside down. They're shaking him. 
And if you look carefully, it's Barry. It's not the other kids. So oh, really? Left that shot in and figured, well, nobody will know. And uh, so, yeah, he worked on that. And then Barry started uh, doing TV shows. He was in some movies. He did a movie called Papa's Delicate Condition with Jackie Gleason. He was in My Six Loves with uh, Debbie Reynolds. Jan- uh, what was it? David Jansen, Cliff Robertson. Um, he was in The Errand Boy with uh, Jerry Lewis. Lewis. And yeah, he was making the round. So they knew about Barry long before he was Ernie on the show. But he actually came on the show, I think it was the third year as a friend. And he had a recurring role. Was he a foster child? Well, that's what it came. You didn't know that at that time. He was a neighborhood kid that I knew. And when they needed a neighborhood kid for me to talk to or play with, they had Ernie, which, you know, it kind of is strange it didn't make much sense switching when i would go to school but my brother was about a foot and a half taller i mean shorter than me yeah so i mean what does this mean either he's really smart or am i really dumb (laughs) (laughs) there's something wrong and it was probably the other way around i you know they kind of he he kind of looked like the uh proverbial nerd right with the glasses and yeah with the glasses and all that so i'm sure they were saying he was an accelerated student but we hit it off and you know his character was like a great little character on the show was different than the kind of kids you saw on tv Uh, you know most of the kids even though they weren't jay north uh, who was dennis smith although jay eventually worked on our show or john provost can't remember if john worked on the show or not but most kids looked like that and my brother had, you know, dark hair, a Mr. Moto haircut, glasses and buck feet. <laughs> yeah. So it was a completely pioneering a different look for TV. And, you know, he was bringing in inclusion before there was inclusion in TV. Well, so not everybody had to be a perfect looking person. Do you think the 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 scenario or the idea of my three sons was actually kind of groundbreaking because it was a father? a single father or a widowed father with three boys. And you really didn't see that that other than maybe family affair with, um, with uh, Brian Keith getting three, uh, the nieces and nephew. Um, But it was unique because you never saw a man try to take care of a family. It was unique for that era. And then most of the households were complete families where this was the case of a widower. You know, right. trying to raise the family with the assistance of a grandfather, William Frawley. And you know, that kind of made it unique. But to be really honest, the actual show before it was My Three Sons was really conceived. I think it was for the McGuire sisters from Lawrence Welk. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they ended up declining to do it. They didn't want to leave Lawrence Welk. And I forget who the dad they had. They had a different dad. And then they got the idea of approaching Fred McMurray. And then they decided to change it to three, three boys and, and a grandfather. And uh, yeah, so that's how it became My Three Sons. But the original concept was written to be four, four sisters on the show. So oh, be darn. I didn't a realize little bit that. different. Yeah. That well, would have I mean, been really when, different. Do you think it would have lasted, as, lasted uh, the 12 years that you guys did? I'm not sure. You know, I mean, young girls, I think, are more susceptible to having crushes on boys at that age. Okay. And I think that kind of drove the show because we had somebody for everybody, you know? Right. Yeah. I was like nine. Don Grady was about 15 when it started. Tim Considine, 17, 18. Then you got Fred McMurray, who was this good looking dude who's yeah. 
you know, probably in his late forties, almost 50. And then, you know, you got uh, William, I mean, William Frawley, who was, I hate to say this, this is really freaking me out. I'm William Frawley's age right now. Oh, really? I'm Bob's age. When the <laughs> show started. I mean, I look at him and I'm like, God, you know, I, right. I can't believe him. Because yeah. I remember at some point about whatever it was, 10 years ago, well, 20 years ago, I go, wow, I'm as old as Fred McMurray was when he started the show. Show, yeah. Now I'm, now I'm as old as Bob. Uh, well, unfortunately, <laughs> it catches up with you eventually. Does, um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and speaking of William Frawley, um, there's been new interest in his career because of the movie that Amazon did called Being the Ricardos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I saw that. And I also saw Lucy and Desi. There's another right. documentary what, that's out that I thought was really pretty good. I thought the documentary was better than the movie myself, but I like well, the that, movie. to me. The movie had some problems. I like the movie. I thought even yeah. though they really didn't resemble the people they were playing, which is problematic for me. Um, yeah, I thought they were brilliant actors and I love Aaron Sorkin's script. However, that being said, uh, they just took a lot of literary license with yeah. kind of what went down, but, and especially with William Frawley. Well, that's to what me, I was going to ask you. They had his mannerism down, and I thought he really you know, did a good job of capturing Bill's crankiness and surliness. Bill never spoke that way. I mean, and I realize as, as a writer, a lot of times there's plot points you have to cover or move the story along. Bill wasn't that sophisticated. I'm sorry. You know, he was kind of a you know four letter kind of guy. And in my lifetime, I don't think he said anything really witty like that. Right. Um, but it served the plot. And I understood it. That, you know, it's just not a complete portrayal of the guy that I knew, you know, and ate lunch well, with every day for four years. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, because um, they made him. And what was he? A drinker? Did he drink all the time? Because the the comment of them going into the bar at ten in the morning, and him I think making he the comment. To, okay, I think that was prior to Lucy, though, because they they made it really clear: if you show up drunk, you're fired. You know, right? You know, we'll give you one chance, and that's it. So he towed the line and held his drinking back till after work. And uh, my three sons, you know, uh, I'm sure he went out and went to Bordner's or. Musu and Frank's afterwards to meet his buddies. And, you know, I'm sure they drank. Uh, lunchtime was kind of a different thing. He he would have a drink, but he, it seemed like he would only have like one. He used to drink okay. Frenet Broncos. I think it's called some bitters that he used to drink. He'd buy one for him and one for me. I'm only like 10 <laughs> or 11, but I got this and my guardian was there. And I remember she used to go like that to me. And I, wait till bill was looking and then i dump it under the table you know uh-huh. but uh yeah he, he was kind of that's funny yeah um, he's a funny guy so then on after um uh, frawley's health started declining they had to bring someone in they brought in william demarest playing uncle charlie who was actually yeah, yeah. was that considered bub's brother yes yeah, yeah, he was just another, instead of being, Char- what was his name, Francis O'Casey, he was just yeah. Charlie O'Casey or something, and we actually had an interim brother when uh, Bill Demers wasn't available immediately when we started shooting, and uh, gosh, I forgot the guy they brought in, uh, oh my gosh, he was on one of those police shows, real surly kind of guy, uh-huh. I always talk like that, but he was there for a couple episodes, and I thought he was really good too, but 
you know, I guess the plan was just to be there as a substitute for a couple episodes. So, okay. So was, who, who was Bob? Was he uh, Frederick Murray's father or the fictitious no, he was the father. father of the mother of the okay. mother. And, and then you never we... see the mother except in one show. There's a, a picture of her. I think it's right. on a dresser and we refer to it and it cuts to it in an insert. And uh, yeah, you know, you really don't know much about her, what happened other than, you know, she died or had some cancer or something. Right. Oh man. Hang on a second. Hey, here. that's okay. So, um, so with that with that going on so you you got to play with two very good character actors with william frawley and william demarest were you able i mean looking back on it so many years later are you able to compare the contrast the two on who did the role better or was the roles actually considered different for each of them yeah it was different it was different but the same you know they were kind of these you know kind of cranky guys that had you know kind of attitude right but um, they were different people. I mean, they were markedly you know, different. Uh, you know, Bill was kind of a cut up, you know, devil may care kind of person. And uh, William Demarest, you know, I, I don't know, for just different kind of guy, you know. And, and he, to be honest, he was a big, big movie star. He was a much bigger movie star than William Frawley. William Frawley did a lot of films, but, you know, he was always... You know, a second banana and in, in B films where right. you know, William Damers was in, you know, A films, you know, and he'd been doing that for, for so long. I mean, you know, he had a much bigger career. Bill Frawley's career really took off with Lucy, you know, where he just became a household name then and maybe eclipsed William Damers' career because okay. of the longevity of, of Lucy. Uh, you know, anybody connected with that show, it's like you, <laughs> you can't do better than Lucy. With looking at looking at TV in the nineteen late fifties sixties, mm-hmm. was for these actors that had a big screen careers did did it feel like they were taking a back seat when they went on TV, or did well that they was that was, was just... the yeah I know what you're saying it it sort of was the preconception of the industry you know, okay. especially if you were an actor that your agents really didn't want you to do much TV. If you had a career rolling along as, as a movie star or in the film industry, it was considered a, definitely a step down in something that could actually harm your career. Um, you know, I, at that point in Fred McMurray's life, it, it kind of fit what he wanted to do. I mean, I already been in a hundred films and he, I, at the time he was hired, he was probably the highest paid guy in Hollywood still. You know, right before My Two Sons, he was in you know, three spectacularly successful big films. He was in the Kane Mutiny. Right. Uh, he went from that to the apartment. And from the apartment, you know, he started doing films for Disney. The Shack. Back, I always thought My Three Sons was based on somebody got the idea about watching The Shaggy Dog. There's no doubt in my mind. All that was missing was the grandfather. But there was three, three boys, a dog, and Ben McMurray. And that small town kind right. of fifties feel to it, which is what I think endeared people to my three sons. You watch those first, you know, two or three years, it evokes a completely different time and place. It's like when you're walking down main street in Disneyland, you actually feel like you've gone back in time. Well, What's interesting. You saying that, and I'm reading this right now, the series was a cornerstone of ABC and CBS's lineups 
in 1960s. Disney producer Bill Walsh often mused on whether the concept of the show was inspired by the film, The Shaggy DA, as his views really? they shared the same dog, the same kids, well, I know about the and Frederick I Murray. Know about, I don't know about the Shaggy DA, but the Shaggy dog. Dog, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, which was, I think, in 58 or 59. And interestingly, it had Tim Considine in it as one of the you know, oh, cast members. You're right. Yeah, that's right. He did. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then the, the part, I think I auditioned for that, but they thought I might be too young. Yeah. Uh, so they gave the part to Kevin Corcoran, who played the younger younger son. He's about two, two or three years older than me. And, you know, we were kind of rivals, but because he was a little more mature, if you can call an 11 year old over an eight year old, you know, mature. Right. Um, yeah. So when the series ended in 72, did you feel at that time, if you went on auditioned, you were being typecast or did you feel that any role was open to you at the time? I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, something else was happening parallel to that, but I'll get back to that. Yeah, it was a different time and place. And it was almost like what we were talking about before with the casting people and being in the movies or your TV actor. That was still in play, you know, in the 70s. Uh, all through the 70s, really, were casting agents uh, who cast movies. You know, if you came in and you were known as a TV actor, they, a lot of times they wouldn't even see you. You know, they just go, you're you're stereotyped. And and a couple of times I went out for a roll night, you know, I didn't get it because they go, well, you know, what's going to happen? As soon as he walks into his scene, people are going to go, oh, there's Chip, Chip. You know, kind of like what happened to Superman back in the 50s. You right. know, he, he had a career going. He's in Gun with the Wind, for God's sakes. And, you know, doing Superman was just another role. But after that, they put him in a couple of films and had to cut him out because it just ruined the film is what would happen. But for me, after the show, yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I, I never really had any notions about, you know, what could happen or and I, and I never thought of myself as a star or a TV star, movie star, you know, I, I, because of my parents, maybe we just wanted to be working actors. So when my three cents was over, uh, it was weird. It ended. And then about a week or two later, I was waiting. I talked to my agent a couple of times. And it's like, so what's going on? And he goes, Oh, well, I have an interview for you tomorrow. If you want to go on it. And I'm like, well, what is it? And uh, he goes, it's a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> and I was like, not a movie or not a TV show? He's like, no, I got, I got a commercial. We want to go out. He says, I'm sure other things will come along. And I go, yeah, you know, I guess I better. And, yeah. you know, the very next day when I went on that commercial, which is, you know, like sometimes if you're doing a movie interview, it's just you and they want to see you and they read you and. Right. There's a little bit of respect. <laughs> it was none. I went that there was like me and 500 guys that look like me, all saying, you know, eat a hamburger, you know, right. a pickled bun or whatever the hell it was. So I walked out of there going, well, I yeah. guess I'm back to square one, <laughs> you know. So you just you, you just got to do it because I've always felt you just do whatever. If it's any good, it'll be seen. If it's no good, it won't be seen. And sometimes commercials, especially back then, could be pretty lucrative. And uh, in fact, about uh, it's probably a year or two after I did my three sons, I went out. On, actually, went on two commercials that day. One was for a Honda motorcycle, 
and I didn't really ride a motorcycle. So I was like, Oh God, I don't know. You know, I'll just talk to them and hopefully they hire me and I'll figure, figure the rest it. Out. Like, yeah. So I did the reading and they're like, Hey, we're really interested in you. And you know, but we want to make sure you can ride a motorcycle. You come down to the parking lot. I'm like, now <laughs> they're like, yeah. So I went down and I was trying to remember my friend told me how to let the, you, you kind of turn and give it some right. gas while you're letting, you don't just let the clutch out or the whole thing will stall out. So somehow it, it happened and the motorcycle got going very smoothly and I kind of rode around and then, you know, squeezed the bike and pulled the right. clutch off. And they're like, great, great, great. We'll get back to you. And Anyway, uh, I had another interview to go to about two hours later, which was a Kemper insurance commercial. And that one, I had no lines in. Uh, it was just a guy who was stuck in the desert in his car. And then the Kemper, that was their whole, whatever it was, sales pitch or whatever. It was this Kemper Calvary came and saved me. About 20 guys on horses rescued me out of the desert. So I went out and, you know, did that. And uh, the next day I got a call and they said, hey, you know, could you do this here? It's down to you and two other guys. We needed to go to, I think it was, oh, I forgot the name of it. There's a, uh, was a horse, uh, like a, I don't even know what you call it. Some place that had a lot of horses there. Okay. And uh, so I show up and they picked one of the horses out. And then, so I had to get on it and charge down this hill and come back up. Well, I knew how to ride a horse. Wasn't worried about that. And uh, so then the next thing they said, uh, we need to see if you can get up on the horse uh, from the back, not in the saddle. There's going to be a guy in the saddle and you're going to have to, you know, run and, run jump, and jump and get up. Yeah. And um, so <laughs> that horse was so I ran, jumped, hit the horse, fell down did it a couple of <laughs> times. So then they said, well, wait a minute, Let, let's have the guy kind of grab him while he's going up and sling him. So right. I did that and they, and I got up. Okay. So I'm like, okay. So anyway, I got home that afternoon. Uh, my agent called me and says, well, <laughs> I've got some good news and some good news. So I said, well, what's, what's the first good news? He says, you got the Honda commercial. I'm like, really? He goes, why? What, what's wrong? And I said, well, I got to confess. I'm not really, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to have me doing on that. I mean, I barely got it going. What's the, uh, what did they say on the other one? They said, well, um, you know, you got the Kemper commercial too, but they both shoot on the same day. You got to pick one. And uh, so I was like, wow, wow. I said, well, I ride a horse better than I Let you ride a motorcycle. Ride, yeah. Right. I said, the only thing, the only caveat being is I don't want to have to run and jump up. They got to figure out a way to get me up on that horse by either having a step stool that's out of frame, just to, you know, so right. I got something to hit myself on and then I can get up. So they agreed to that and that's what we did. So I did Kemper insurance. Well, here's the down, down. I mean, the upside of that was I never saw that, that Honda commercial. I don't know yeah. if I ever hit the airwaves, the Kemper commercial, we shot it at the end of the year and it went on the air. I believe it was the following January, February, I think it was during tennis season and it stayed on the air for 10 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I made, doesn't sound like a lot now, but it was like $15,000 a year from having one day's work and, uh, you know, for 10 years in a row. But I mean, you know, you're saying $15,000 back then. I bought my oh, house that's... in Studio City for like $45,000. Right. right. So that was a um, good amount of money. 
so the other thing you did too, and this is one of this was one of my favorite programs of the as a kid, is you did the program or the voice, or one of the voices in the Roman holidays. Yeah, yeah. Which was uh, Hanna Barbera, uh, Dom mm-hmm. DeLuise, Dawes Butler, uh, Pamela Ferrand, who most people know her as Lucy, Hal Smith, and all these other people. When you did the program, were you in a booth by yourself or did you actually interact with them? Yeah, you interact. I mean, yeah, I mean, the the real thrill for me was working with Dawes Butler. Dawes Butler was Hanna-Barbera's Mel Blanc. You know, he did every voice. uh, You know, Flintstones, Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound. So, and yeah, he was really cool because I wanted to soak up and learn everything I could from him, man. He was this diminutive little guy who... Just the nicest guy in the world. But yeah, you know, we'd go in and, and the drill was, we'd probably give in about nine o'clock and we'd all sit around a table and go through the script. We'd, you know, read it. And then we'd kind of go through it where we would do our characters and then we would shoot it, you know, meaning you would record it. We'd all be at separate microphones and they would do it. And sometimes you'd have to do a line over and over and go all the way through it. And then sometimes at the end, they'd ask you to stay and then you would, you know, might have to do another line over if they heard something or wanted to try right. something else. So yeah, I, I did that with the Roman holidays and they started asking me to do other shows. I was doing, you know, they weren't specific characters. They just would call them additional voices. But I did that for the Devlins, Scooby-Doo's. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a great job. <laughs> I was going to say, do you like doing convention. voiceover work? I, I did. I didn't respect it enough, you know, to realize what a burden of hand that could have been had I pursued it more because they really liked me and, you know, seemed to be willing to keep having me come back. And I kept having other things come up or I couldn't show up and didn't. And finally, you know, they just you know, screw him, get another guy. Right, right. Where I, I should have stayed right on top of that because the people go in and work for three hours and, you know, get paid for a full day because, you know, they were on. Well, Screen actors because wages is, is a great gig, but plus you're you know working with really cool people. Mickey Dolphins, I work with him all the time. He he did a couple of the Roman holidays, and he was there when I did. I think some of the Devil ones, uh-huh. uh, you know. So yeah, because now times. it's amazing with technology that people are doing that stuff from their own homes now in their own studios. So again, hey, I look think, what we're doing. Usually oh, I, I just have to go into a radio station <laughs> to be doing what we're doing. Or I we just do it over mine. the telephone. You're right. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm doing it over my iPhone. So, you know, who the hell needs a radio station? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So with all this, and, and you, you talked about making the $15,000 a year for the commercial, how did residuals work on the programs that you worked on? Because I've talked to other people about that that I've interviewed, yeah. and they give me they give me similar stories, but they're slightly different. It really depends on your contract and what area it came from. Um, you know, there really were no residuals before 1961. Okay, uh, which was bad for all actors from the beginning of time to 1961. You know, we're now older right. actors. And they really didn't get a residual income from the, the movies and TV shows that they did back then. And they came up with this idea. I mean, it was kind of an onerous system to keep track of it all. You know, it's sort of like, well, here's my three sons. You know, when it was originally on the air, CBS would pay the residuals. And those were big residuals because uh, they were based on what you were earning. And you would get a pretty good chunk of what you were originally paid. 
and then it would start diminishing mine. I had a contract where I got paid through, I think it was 10 runs. So I made great oh, money. And then when uh, CBS, when the show was over in 72, they started syndicating it, I think in 73 or 74. And again, we had pretty, it was based on the original thing. So I made great money. It wasn't until the advent of cable that they figured out how to screw the actors out of their, all actors, not just me, but out of their, uh, you know, these. So how does it feel that you can turn on a TV and see yourself Mm -hmm. at eight years old? You know, (laughs) I was just talking to Bill Moomy, who was a friend of mine. He was saying, hey, you know, there's not much to do. He goes, every morning I wake up and I watch like my son. I said, well, then you've probably seen more episodes than I have. I never watched the show. So I I know a few episodes because I had to have clips for when I would do talk shows or for other things. But I I really didn't sit there and watch it. I was more interested in movies. Even when I was a kid, my whole, I lived within about three, four blocks of Hollywood Boulevard, which had about 20 movie theaters in my era. Okay. So I could go up there and go sit in the movie theater all day and all night, which is pretty much what I did. Uh, I watched a little TV. Um, I remember, what was that called? With, uh, McHale's Navy. I remember yes. that. I think that might have even been a lead-in show to My Three Sons. I'm not sure. But... And then I turned it off on My that this many years later, people are still watching My yes. Three Sons? Did you ever think that, first off, did you ever think we'd be viewing TV programs the way we are now on cable, on streaming services, on stuff like that? Because pretty much I can do a search for you or my free three sons and it will bring it up immediately and I can sit and watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think my three sons, if you, I think they came out with about four or five seasons of DVDs finally. They did two and I think they did pretty well with it, but the fans were upset because it was expensive. I think they're right. about $40, dollars But the reason was, you know, most series coming out today have got like, what, eight episodes? Our first yeah. season had 39 episodes. So you're getting your money's worth. Same thing with the second and third. Uh, you know, we did almost half our shows in the first season. I mean, in the first four years. You know, it, almost 40. That's like 160 black and white shows. Right. You know, there's only uh, 380 episodes. So that's... You know, almost half of them. So, yeah. But if you look on YouTube, I think you can find all the the main, or almost every episode. I think. Yeah. My my yes. favorite one that I do remember is uh is an episode, and the reason I liked it, I just thought it was so creative and so unique for a, a family comedy show. It's a light comedy, and you know, it's no big guffaws or anything like that. You chuckle. But this particular episode was just such a departure from that. It is like the scariest episode of almost anything you've ever seen on TV. And it's on My Three Sons. Yeah. The episode in the first year, the episode's called Small Adventure. And how they got the conflict and the tension into the show isn't the dog. In fact, the show starred the dog. This was one of the few episodes of Star Trek. He brings a stick of dynamite into the house. <laughs> And the dynamite is falling downstairs and it's percussion dynamite. It's not the kind you light and right, run away, right. you know, and it, it, the dynamite ends up everywhere. He's carrying it all through the house and, you know, a couple of times it falls down the stairs and ends up in the laundry chute and all kinds of crazy. But if you watch it, it's a nail biter. I mean, you look at it and go, wow, that was so freaking creative. Mm-hmm. 
So recently I've had the opportunity to speak with uh, Jacqueline Smith from Charlie's Angels and Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I, I asked them pretty well. Yeah. And I asked them both these questions, this question here. Do you feel this the, the entertainers or the actors today on TV programs have it easier than you did because you did 30 plus episodes and they only do 12 a season? I mean, there's so many ways to look at that, you know, easier in, in, in what way? I mean, the processes of acting is still the same. And, you know, a lot of the stuff is, I think, much more challenging than anything we did. I'm watching Dope Sick right now. I mean, <laughs> that's definitely not my three cents. And, you right. know, the actors are really having to cull from within themselves the kind of feelings, thoughts and uh, oh my God, I can't even imagine portraying some of those people on there, what they're going through. So it really depends on the material. Some of the material I just think is, is goofy and doesn't mean anything. And then some shows, you know, they, what, what's good, I guess, with TV now, it's so fractionalized. Um, you know, there's something for everybody out there. You know, it's like the horse channel. It might even be the brown horse <laughs> channel or something. Right. You can watch a shows with brown horses. I don't know. Uh. Uh, but yeah, you, you, you look at that and you go, wow, you know, you just watch something and sample it, see if you like it, and you stick to it or you binge watch it, like Mrs. Maisel. Right. I didn't really want to watch it. I just, you know, my wife said, you know, why don't we take a look at this? And I was so charmed by it. I, you know, we binged the whole thing and couldn't wait till the fourth season, which just came out. And, uh, yeah, my I wife like and it. I... My wife and I were the same way. We watched the first three and then COVID hit. And then it was like, oh, come yeah. on, hurry up. Just get it out. But I know, get because it out. of that, we found other programmings like Shit's Creek and some other things like that, yeah, too. Yeah. So, Yeah, we popped all over the place. I mean, long before COVID, I remember she wanted me to watch Stout and Abbey. And I'm like, that's a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. And I watched the first episode and I was like, holy crap. Where does this yeah. go? I was hooked, man, for so back i think there's a movie coming out so with your with your career in acting and everything else you went behind the camera and yeah i started writing uh, directing producing so what are you doing now because you should be retired in most things i'm, ta in most I'm talking mind. to you that's what i'm doing well that well that's yeah. telling you a lot right there uh, yeah <laughs> covid <laughs> No, I do everything. Hey, I said, you know, I, whatever people call, I do it. I have no preconceived notions about anything. It's just, you know, it doesn't have to be some big thing to me to be, you know, important. You know, everybody's what they're doing. They feel is important. You know, and you feel like, hey, you're helping them and someday they may help you. <laughs> so, well, and, and, and I, I, I can, I can understand that. That that's really great. What do you have? What are you doing now? Or what do you have coming well, out here in the near future? Yeah. Yeah, well, what I had, let's put it that way, uh, in last year, I guess it was at the beginning there, I had a TV pilot that I was producing, directing, producing with some other people, but I was the director. It was just a talk show. We were trying to find something simple to do because we knew about the COVID thing, but it just got to be too much. And what the Guild wanted us to do and... The other problem for me was, uh, besides being the director and the producer, I was also the, the manager on the LLC for the project. Okay. And I had, you know, talked to an attorney or my attorney and you know, I said, look, what is the liability here for me if we shoot this thing and somebody gets COVID oh. or somebody gets COVID and dies? 
And he goes, well, there's really no COVID insurance. Uh, so because you know, you're really taking your chances. If something goes wrong, you would have complete liability as the manager of the LLC. That's who they're going to go after. You know, I just thought, you know, I've smoothly <laughs> sailed through life. I don't think I've ever been sued. And I, I just don't need to do that. I mean, it broke my heart because, uh, you know, if there was people I thought I'd be working with or could get work for, including myself. But it just seemed like such a big risk. And we were doing everything that the Screen Actors Guild said not to do. You're bringing a group of about 30 people together in a confined space, either a soundstage right. or a real location. You're going to have to tell some of the people and the actors specifically, you, you got to take your mask off or get ready to shoot. And, you know, it's just like, you know, we're, you know, you, you have no, li you're, li you're liable for all this. If something goes wrong, you're going to be liable for it. There was no workaround. And it just seemed to me from a business standpoint, it didn't make sense to do it. The other thing I had going at that time was another TV pilot, which is kind of more like a real situation comedy show that I've been working on with some other people for a couple of years. And uh, anyway, about the same time, I thought, I don't want to push forward with this thing either because the first one, we actually got the money to shoot it. We went out to raise the money. We got right. the money and then I bailed. And then the other two producers decided without me to go ahead. And I said, well, you're welcome to go ahead. Just take my name off of every scrap of paper. And you had to go do the LLC somewhere else. I'm going to trash this one. So, uh, but anyway, the other you know problem, we were in the midst of fundraising for the, uh, you know, for the other show. And I just thought, this isn't going to work because if I get the money, I'm just putting myself right back in the position of not being able to shoot it. And by then it was even worse because the Delta variant had come out last year. And now the other unions, the Directors Guild are all having their say. Screen Actors Guild is demanding things. IOTSE is demanding other things. I'm like, you know, I, I just can't deal with all this. I'm just the guy that wants to go shoot it, edit it and be done. So I'm going to just take a powder for a year or two and hopefully everything comes back and you know and go back out and try and raise the money and shoot it. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that we will get back to some type of normalcy in the, say the next year or so? I've known people that have worked on shows during this where, you know, and some of them went well and some of them didn't. My brother, you know, he's like a working actor. He works probably at least every couple of weeks, maybe a work, you know, at least once a month. But he's saying it's horrible to shoot. He says you get there and it's not like, you know, there's this camaraderie thing that you, you know, try and have with the other actors before you shoot. He goes, basically, they isolate you into a dressing room or in the case of the show he shot, they had these plastic see-through bubbles they put people uh -huh. in. Yeah, I'm sitting in a bubble for like six hours a day and work for two. There's no and interaction, yeah. Yeah, do I want to do that? That's not my idea of show business. So I realized that you got to do it. And then I know other people that started shows, started shooting, people got COVID, all got shut down and never started up again. Or, you know, you know, who wants to be in that position? So, yeah, this thing really kind of made people rethink how this stuff's going to be done or if there's going to be pandemics in the future. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. It just, uh, and granted, the other side of it is like what you just said, you're there where you maybe you should be retired sometimes that goes through my mind i mean i don't feel like i'm the typical guy 71 going on 72 i feel so 
pretty useful and right. you know that I have the ability to do things and work and I saw my brain to some extent. Um, you know, it, it's it's a strange place to be, but you know, yeah, I definitely would like to get out there again, see where they go. Um, but on the other side of the coin is. Maybe I should stay home and garden and do another thing. It's like I, I was just joking with somebody the other day who was my age. I said, you know, I always used to watch these old movies and they'd have these older guys and who were actors and then they interview them, ask them what they're doing now. And they were, they were always saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm in my garden, tending uh -huh. my garden. And, you know, I just blew that off when I was younger. I go, you know what? I know what they mean because if I didn't have my backyard, I don't, I don't know what I would have, right. you know, especially for. It's a couple of months out here where uh, you know I didn't have anything to do. Mm -hmm. It's like thank God for that yard and my lawnmower. And right, exactly. Weed, yeah, I understand. Weed whacker. So, yeah. Stanley, thank you very much. I really yeah. appreciate you taking Thanks, time Bill. talking today. And I mean, we've been scheduling this honestly for everybody watching and listening since Thanksgiving That's of right. last year. Yeah. Um, wow. And we actually spoke on Thanksgiving Day, to be honest with you. So it's it, we've been trying to do this, and you've had stuff come up and everything well, hopefully else it was worth the wait <laughs> hey it was and, and i'd love to have you back on again if if your life gets back to normal a little bit more and we can talk more about what you've done and what you're going to be doing oh yeah no I'm, i've got some other things actually a project that i started and it kind of got put on ice too because of the COVID thing i did this project called the actor's journey project which yes. is really interesting because i involved over 100 people from our industry directors producers agents what it is it's a uh it's an educational tool for actors, but oh, okay. it doesn't have anything to do with acting. It has to do with the business side of acting, which isn't taught in these universities. So I brought a, like Henry Winkler and uh, Michael York, uh, Richard Donner. I mean, uh, president of the Screen Actors Guild, president of the Directors Guild of America, so all chimed in to create this 10 hour long program. Okay. And this is what's really weird. Now, I will tell you this. My son is graduating from college. He is yep. an actor. He studied musical theater and everything else. He was in Tennessee last week interviewing at the SETC. He got 15 callbacks. Plus he has an agent looking at him right now. And you're right. Mm -hmm. They don't teach him the other side. They only know how no. to perform in front of an audience. And yeah. I think well, that's, that's an awesome idea. Yeah. It's, you know, always what that I knew and grow. It's like, well, that's great. You can go to school, learn how to act, whether it's, you know, mom and pop school or, right. uh, you know, the actor studio or Yale or Harvard. And you get out and you go, uh, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, what you find out is there's two, there's two components to the industry. One is, you know, the acting and the creative part and the craft. There's this other thing that they don't really want to tell you about or teach you about. Because if you knew how hard it is to get that information or learn it, you, you would never be that. Yeah, you right. wouldn't be doing it. So we thought, well, why don't we try and you know make some inroads with this? And like I said, I brought uh, literally 100 people together to do this. In fact, if you go on YouTube, there's some clips still up. But what happened was we were selling it as a DVD product. And right. I had some things going on for about two years. And I just pulled it off the internet, the, the actual website where people go in to buy it. And by that time, I thought, you yeah, know, this thing should actually be a streaming product, not DVD uh, totally anymore. So that's what we did. We've, I've got all the work done so it can be uploaded and people can just go, you just click it, pay for it, watch it. Watch you know, it. That sounds yeah. awesome. That's, I mean, that's I'm really a DVD good. guy, but 
you know, the younger people aren't, and they want to watch stuff on their iPhone. You know, right. it's a different world out there, but yeah, I feel we did a real service to young actors and even actors who've made some progress, but you, they get lost as mm -hmm. to what they are supposed to be doing or, you know, relying on other people to do things that you probably should be doing yourself. And they don't know what those are. And there's, you know, there's nobody to tell you that's right. the problem. Each actor I always say it has to reinvent the wheel himself, which is ridiculous. You can just give people the wheel. Here's how it works. And okay, now you know Go everything. Yeah. And you can learn it before you start it. In fact, watching this may dissuade you from becoming an actor <laughs> when you see some of the things you're going to be expected yeah. to do because it's, yeah. it's that tough. No, we well, can talk about that another time. Or something. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. And I would love to go further with you, but I know you have uh, things that you have to get done and uh, everything else, but I appreciate you taking time and talking to me today. And again, I hope to get, to get the chance to talk to you in the future. We'll do it anytime. Yeah. I'm Thank always you very around. Much. Thank right you. I'm literally always around. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll I'm talk to you next yard time. Now. Yeah. Bye-bye. Hey, a big thank you goes out to Stanley Livingston for joining me today. What a blast that was to talk about his career on My Three Sons and also his career in other projects that he worked on. Everybody, thank you very much for watching. Really appreciate you taking time to join us today, and we'll talk to you next time here on The Bill Alexander Show. Thank you for listening to The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million-dollar baby production. For more information, go to thebillalexandershow.com.